So if you uh, hear these words, I'm sure one individual comes to your mind. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Could you be, would you be my neighbor? A lot of us in the, growing up in the 70s and 80s and 90s were shaped by Mr. Rogers in the morning. We learned to see a man who lived out his faith by his actions, by seeking to love his neighbors above himself. Fred's definition of a neighbor was whoever he was with at that moment. So every day when he entered life, whoever was around him at that moment was his neighbor. And he sought to do what he learned in the story of the Good Samaritan, and he sought to see their needs and then do whatever he could to meet those needs. So his Christian worldview shaped how he loved people, how he taught people, how he tried to show people that it was better to be good, to do good things, to serve people, to think the best of them, to remember that they were created in the image of God. And so he learned that in those moments where he was loving his neighbors, that he could either be an advocate or an accuser, that he could actually be there to make their life better, or he was going to be there to judge them and tear them down. And we live in a world where everything butts heads with each other, where there's constant conflict, where there's so many people of the opposite of Mr. Rogers, and we call those narcissism people, people who are self-absorbed, who are consumed with themselves, that look in the mirror and only see themselves, or they look in their neighborhoods and in the world they live in, and they're only focused upon themselves. This is such a self-centered view, such a narrow view, filled with pride and arrogance, thinking that they're the ruler of the world. And God calls us to live differently. God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, it says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. That whole idea is trace all from the beginning to the end of Scripture, that we're to love God and love people. And so today we're going to look at Galatians 5 to be encouraged and compelled to live in this world differently. Paul's letter speaks to the wisdom and clarity needed in the church. At this point, there's some controversy. There's some Christian Jews and some Christian Gentiles, and they're not agreeing with each other. They're arguing over the law. They're arguing about how to treat people. And Paul gets aggressive with them because he's trying to help them understand that that can't be in the church. You can't say you love God and not love people. And so Paul's calling for their unity. He's asking them to put some away some of their differences so that they can follow Jesus together. And in their midst, there's some false teachers telling them that it's better to live by the law. And Paul's helping us understand that there's freedom that comes through grace in Jesus. Paul makes it clear in the book of Galatians that it's justification that makes us right with God. That it's his grace through faith, not the result of any of our sinful lifestyle that makes the difference. 
because Jesus died and bore the sins of all the world and set us free from the bondage of sin so that we could live lives with Jesus. And so Paul is calling us to believe in the grace, to believe in what Jesus did for us, to remember that we've been justified and reconciled and that our lives have been changed through what Jesus did on the cross. So he brings us to these verses, starting in verse 13, where he's calling us to love one another. And it starts this way. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, not to use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather to serve one another humbly. So Paul's calling us to walk in love. He's calling us to walk in love because our lives have been changed by Jesus. Earlier in Galatians 2, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus changed our lives. It's by us having faith and believing that Jesus bore the curse of the law and that he died on the cross so that we could be set free and so that we could live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul's quick to remind us that our freedom is not to indulge in our flesh and the things of this world, but he's calling us to rather love God and love the people around us, to humbly serve them. And if we think back to the Gospels, we get Jesus' picture is so profound with that when it comes to service. The fact that Jesus put on a towel and he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. That he showed them the ultimate source of humility and love by doing something that they least expected. No one in that room expected Jesus to get down and wash their dirty feet that were filled with all the crud of the day. And Jesus challenged his disciples at the end to go and do likewise. To continue to love and serve the people around you. To look for the moment that you have to love your neighbors above yourself. And so Paul's reminding us again to love and serve those around us. That's a part of obedience It's not if we feel like it or if we want to or we get around to it. John 13, 34 says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus is not and Paul are not giving us these opportunities to do if we want to do them. It's part of our obedience. And so again, this idea gets traced all through Scripture to give us a better understanding of what God is asking for us. He's asking us it's not about the rules. It's about loving him and loving people. And so he starts that in Deuteronomy 6.4. And it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So in the Shema, God God is setting up this idea that you're going to love me first, that out of this loving relationship, because I love you, you're going to love me back, and out of that relationship, 
then you're going to live what it says in uh, Leviticus 19.18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. So again, God's calling us to love him and then love the people around him. And then Jesus, in all of his authority and weight, puts it all together in Matthew 22 when he says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus right, brings so much weight to those two verses, calling us to love his Father with everything. And then out of that love that we've received from him, that we flow it out into our everyday life. All of scripture reminds us that God is love. His story reminds us that he is love. His gospel reminds us that he is love. And Wayne Grudem said this about God's love. God's love means that God eternally gives himself to others. So in God's love, he's continually giving of himself to us. He's continuing pouring that love upon us in our everyday life. And then 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he first loved us. So we love God back. We love God back. We follow the great commandment in our life. And then because of that love, we decide to love well by loving our neighbors and our enemies, as Jesus says. Jesus seeks in the Gospels to shock the selfishness and worldliness out of us in our life. He wants us to really create a heart in him for the people around us. For those that we go to church with, those that we live in our neighborhood with, those that we strangers that we meet. God wants us to get out of the way and be his vessels to love our neighbor as ourself, to love and serve. And Jesus gave us that picture with the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? All the religious people walked by, they didn't see their neighbor. And then the Samaritan stops and takes care of the man and takes him to an inn and takes more care of him and then leaves money for him to be continued to be taken care of as it moves forward. And then Jesus asks the, the question at the end of the parable, which is the neighbor? He's the one that stopped and saw the need and loved the person. Paul continues in his writings from the the beginning of Romans to the end to remind us to be devoted to love, urging us to love. He brings it up over and over and over again with so much weight because he knows that that's what life is about. It's about loving God and loving people. And earlier in Romans, he says this in Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and there is any other commandment all summed up in saying, namely, you love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm, does, does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul's remind us in Galatians 5.14 
that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. He's reminding us again in Romans 13 to love our neighbor as ourself. That the law, the, the, the law of Moses and the Torah, that all of that was summed up with one simple thing. Love. We fulfill every demand of the Mosaic law by loving others. It's the only legitimate debt that one debt Christians can never repay. It's an ongoing obligation to love and love and love more. It's important to, for us to understand that we need to love people genuinely and authentically in our everyday lives. We need to stop arguing and fighting and bickering over simple things in the church and outside the church. We need to seek to unity, as Paul's saying in Galatians 5. And we need to love people by compassion and service. We need to love people by speaking truth into their life. Sometimes when we're in community groups, we need to speak truth into one another's lives. We need to say hard things to show them that we truly love them. And Paul's reminding us in Galatians that that's possible. That even in the conflict, we can love and serve one another. That we need to pursue the unity. We need to continue to love our neighbor as ourself. And he uses the word, uh, the the definition of the word in this passage is agape love. It's not emotions-based. It's the act of the will. It's us being self-sacrificed and deliberate in our actions to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to love people like God has loved us. And as Paul says, we need to be devoted to it. We need to urge ourselves to get up and do something to communicate the love. Paul is letting us know that we're hitting the mark that God's asking us when we love one another. And we do that in the church and outside the church. In 1 Peter 2, it says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify the God on the day he visits us. So we're compelled, right, to live in such a way like Jesus on this earth so people see him, experience his love through our actions and our words and our service, so that they're drawn to Jesus. Paul said this in Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Again, he's reminding us to love our neighbor as ourself. To be others-focused. When we think of the current world we're living in, we can't help but think about Ukraine. And the Goldens, who are missionaries there with Reach Global, who we support, wrote this yesterday. The war in Ukraine has caused our Hungarian friends to face many challenges and fears. We have seen such kindness and helpfulness in the Ukraine people, mainly women, children, and elderly. So many great outpourings of care and love in these initial days of war, setting up shelters in churches, stadiums, and places with cots and air matches, then helping find homes for those who want to stay closer to their homeland. The churches have been the main place of care and compassion as they have worked together mobilizing the vast needs of those who flee with very little. A priority has been made to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what God's calling us to do. Because we love him, because our lives have been changed by Jesus, when we see a need, 
we love. So what about our church? What about the people in this room? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to love in your home? Who do you need to love at your workplace, in your neighborhood? Who is God calling you to be a neighbor and love them as yourself? And so Paul goes on in the passage to call us to walk by love, by walking by the Spirit. And so he starts that in Galatians 5.1. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not object again to the yoke of slavery. And then in verse 16, he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Paul is helping us understand that we've first been united with Christ and through that relationship, through him dealing with our sin problem, then we're set free to live through the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit. Jesus said as he left this earth that he was giving us this gift of one greater than he, the advocate that would go with us, that would enable us, that would empower us to love people. John Piper said this about this relationship. The spirit is not a leader like, at a, a leader like the pace car in De, De, Daytona 500. He is a leader like a locomotive on a train. We do not follow in our own strength. We are led by his power. So walk by the spirit means that we're hooked up to the divine source of power and go wherever he leads. And so we walk with the Spirit because he enables us to love people. He's the source of the power that uses us to speak the gospel message into people's lives. And for their redemption, the Holy Spirit produces in us this desire to love God and love people. And so Paul says, right, we're to live by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit that we were once dead in our transgressions, but we were made alive in Christ and we're God's workmanship created to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We walk with the Holy Spirit and he empowers us to love people. And the idea is that the more we walk with the Spirit, the more we love and love and love And so it starts in the morning. It starts with us getting up and digging into God's word, seeking him in the morning, seeking his guidance and direction in our lives, listening to him speak to us through his word, listening to the the spearing on of the spirit in our lives to love and obey him through the day. But as he says, there's this battle that happens inside of us. In verse 17, he says, For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The idea of flesh is our sin, and it's powerful. We all inherited that from Adam and Eve. From the time we were born, we had a sin problem. And we know from Romans that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all have these longings and desires of the things of this world and flesh. 
I've came to understand it through my, one of my problems. It sounds pretty simple, um, but it's consumed my life at points. When I was younger um, and first married, I had a problem with Oreos. Um, I would buy Oreos, and I would never just eat one Oreo. I would eat the whole package of Oreos, right? And so I would get these packages, and I would just start eating them, and before I knew it, they were all gone. It was what I desired. It tasted good. I wanted more. I wanted it over and over again. And then I had kids, right? And as parents, we buy Oreos. We're supposed to give them to my kids. Well, I hid them from my kids. (laughs) I started putting them away because I didn't want them touching my Oreos. I didn't want them having what I wanted most, right? And so I was hiding those things from them. I had a deep desire for Oreos. It was the cry of my flesh. And sometimes sin, it just screams, right? And we try it one more, one time, right? And we think, oh, I can just eat one. I can just do this once, and then nothing will be wrong, right? But then before we know it, we've ate one, two, three, four times, and before we know it, we're consumed by it. It controls us because we've given ourselves into it, and we've listened to our flesh. And Paul's reminding us in Galatians 5 that we've been set free from our flesh through what Jesus has done. (coughs) D.L. Moody said this, I have never met a man who has given me as much trouble as myself. We all have that problem. So often it's us that's the problem. We want something so bad that we'll do whatever it takes to feed it, to feed the cookie monster. Paul said this in Ephesians 2, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were we were nature deserving we were by nature deserving of wrath we have these sinful cravings in our life and they're strong and paul reminds us of numerous times in galatians that these things are intense earlier in chapter 3 he says this you foolish galatians who has bewitched you before your very eyes jesus was clearly proclaimed portrayed as crucified, I would like then to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Paul was calling them out because they were living in their flesh. They were being fools. They were being deceived. They were following false teaching in the things of this world, and they were not walking with the Spirit. They were letting these bad habits creep up in their life. And so he goes on to share about what these bad habits may look like in verse 19 in chapter 5. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Right? They shouldn't surprise us. Their sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fractions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who, who, 
who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's ugliness. That sin destroys. Bad habits start. We listen to our flesh instead of walking with the Spirit. Paul goes on to tell us that this flesh doesn't just destroy the individual, it destroys the community. And so he says in verse 15, you bite and devour each other. Watch out for you will be destroyed by each other. So when we listen to our flesh, that's where conflict comes up and disagreements come up and we pull apart from each other and we lack unity and we begin to belittle our sisters. And as Paul's saying, we're like wild animals on each other, ripping flesh apart, destroying one another to the place of no return. It's a horrible picture. We can look back at the Old Testament and there's stories about God sent wild animals to for people's consequences of their sin. And they lost their life. And then we think about that in today's world, that then we do that to one another. We forget that God's called us to love him and love people and we devour one another. We rip each other apart. There was that kind of tension in the church of Galatia, they were getting mean. They were letting their flesh build up. Jesus called us to love our neighbor as ourself. He said in Matthew um, 5, verse 44, that we're to, to love our enemies and pray for them who persecute you. Jesus has called us to even love the hard people, the people that belittle us and tear us down and treat us badly. God's called us to love them too. He also said in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. He's reminding us again at the end that it's not, we're not here to tear each other apart. We're here to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so he goes on to tell us that if we're walking in love with the Spirit who enables us to produce fruit, then we're honoring God. And so that's where we pick it up in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have been crucified with, with the flesh and with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When we think of these, this, this list of words, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the character of Christ being produced in our life. And we don't get to pick and neglect any of these things on the list. Right? Sometimes in life, as we're growing in our faith and we're living in this world where everything's in conflict, we want to think, well, I can just be nice this time and I can just be patient this time and I can just love this time and then I can do these, I can... I can seek to hate this time and I can seek to not forgive this time, but then I'll seek to forgive this time. And we get all thinking that we get to pick and choose how we obey God. But God's calling us to live these, the fruit of the Spirit out in our everyday life. Fruit is a living thing. It grows and it, it builds more and more in our life. And so when we choose to love people, we love people more and more and more. When we choose to have joy, it produces more joy and more joy and more joy in our life, all enabled by the Holy Spirit in our life. 
as we walk with him, as we live with him, as we follow his leading, as we get behind the caboose and we follow. We produce this fruit so that we glorify God and we make his name known in the world we live in. What an awesome opportunity to be able to live life for God's glory and to make his name known. We get to be disciples who make disciples. We get to show people how to love people and follow Jesus. We get to explain to them the gospel message. We get to be kind. We get to live by peace. We get to build joy. We need to practice forbearance with one another. We get to be faithful. We get to be self-controlled. We get to do all this by being enabled by the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing. And so as we tie this together, Jesus is reminding us in Matthew 22, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when we love God, we love people well. I think the worst invention ever created on the face of the earth is the snooze button. It destroyed all of culture. It's the worst thing that's ever been made. We wake up some mornings, right? And we hit it, and we're like, eight more minutes, right? I get eight more minutes. I'm going to hit the snooze button, and I get eight more minutes. And then we think in our head, eight minutes is going to change everything, right? And then sometimes we get disappointed, and we're like, I need 16 minutes, so we hit it again, right? Thinking that 16 minutes is going to change everything. And then we're still not satisfied, so we hit it again, and we get 24 minutes, thinking that that's going to change everything. And then 24 minutes can turn into 24 days, or 24 hours, or 24 weeks, or 24 years. And we keep telling ourselves, I'm just going to hit the snooze button, but I'll get around to it. One day, I'll actually love God and love people. One day, I'll actually take God's word seriously, and I'll obey it with my life. One day, I'll come to the place where I'll surrender everything to Jesus, and I'll follow his lead in my life. One day, I'll stop hitting the snooze button. I'll stop living in this comfortable world that I've created and I won't engage the culture and I won't engage the people in the church and I'll, live for, I'll just continue to live for myself thinking that someday it'll get better. But Jesus is reminding us, right, that it's obedience to love him and love people. So we walk with the Spirit in our life. And so some of us in this room, we've not surrendered to Jesus We have not put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. The fact that he followed his father's leading and he died on the cross and he bore the sins of all the world and through his death and his resurrection, now that we have life and we're able to live this life embodied and enabled by the Holy Spirit to love God and love people. I encourage you this morning to think deeply about it, to pray about it, to come up here and talk to someone after the service if you don't know who Jesus is. And then you get the opportunity after that to love the people around you, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love them with devotion and commitment, to serve them humbly, to look to their interests above yourselves, as Paul says, 
to walk humbly with your God as you choose to influence the people around you by sharing the love of Jesus with them in your words and in your actions, by sharing the gospel, by doing things like the Good Samaritan and getting down and getting dirty and loving someone so that they can experience the love of God and the changed life that we all have experienced. And so I encourage you, right, to get behind the locomotive, to let God lead you, to love him and love people, and stop hitting the snooze button. So let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for this day. We're grateful for this chance to be encouraged by your love. And Lord, we ask that you would speak into our lives, that we would realize the depth of your love for us and that you just demonstrated that through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, and through the life that we now live. Help us out of that relation to love people well, to love them as ourself, all for your glory and to make your name known. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.